Hello, everybody. It is great to be here one more time. My name is Gary Fowler. I'm the CEO, CEO President and Co-Founder of GSD, Get You Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in the heart of Silicon Valley. And it's with great pleasure that I introduce my guest, Will Walker. Will Walker's got an incredible background. He's not only in the business development, he's an actor on Hollywood, an award-winning Hollywood actor from the 70s and early 80s. Co-starred with George C. Scott, Bruce Stern, Ryan O'Neill, and many others in hit TV shows like Yes, Starsky and Hutch, and Beretta. Remember Beretta with the cockatoo? That was it. So um, anyhow, he's got a vast experience. You can imagine as an actor, the kind of uh, contacts that he has around the world, working with companies like uh, Hall Ventures, where he's a managing partner and operates the Hall Opportunity Fund. So with that, I'd like to introduce my guest, Will Walker. Hey, Will, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Gary. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about it. How did you go from American Conservatory Theater to being a Warner Brothers? <laughs> well, I was very, very fortunate. Uh, you know, I started off way back when uh, at 17. I actually finished my last year of high school uh, in New York City. So I was able to do a little bit of off-Broadway stuff. Uh, there and, and try to get into Juilliard, which at the time and still is probably one of the premier acting uh, schools in the world. And uh, that didn't work out. But however, uh, some of the scouts from both the Goodman Theater in Chicago, which is very revered, and also American Conservatory Theater, which is considered the Juilliard of the West in San Francisco, were there, saw me, uh, several of the people recommended me anyway. Long story, I got full ride offers from those two, uh, those two groups, and decided to take ACT, uh, which to me was had a little more clout, I guess you'd say, as far as uh, uh, acting and acting chops. So both are extremely good, and you know, uh, was fortunate to go there. Uh, I, Gary Street Theater, they gave me a place to live on top of the theater and the, you know, it's right in the Tenderloin part of San Francisco, if anyone knows it. It's quite a wild spot. I thought I was seasoned after a year and a half in New York, coming from Virginia originally, where I was born and raised. Uh, but it was nothing compared to what I met and saw in downtown San Francisco. And then fortunately, I was usually doing a show at night or participating in a a stage uh, play at night and then taking classes during the day and it was fully paid for. Well, lo and behold, um, who was shooting there and they were looking for trained actors or some some minor speaking parts, uh, but was John Gillerman, who was a pretty famous director. He actually uh, uh, did quite a few famous films, but anyway, he was casting for the Towering Inferno which in the 70s was a big all-star cast. You know, it was kind of the trilogy from uh, King Kong and all of these things, but the, the building burning down. And this is way before the Twin Towers. It's weird how things, uh, you know, fiction mirrors uh, sometimes uh, reality. But regardless, it was a big cast. And I met John Gilliman. He caught me in one of the plays at ACT, offered me a small part. Uh, I was still 17. I was able to get about six weeks worth of work on that film. They filmed it all downtown at the 
Bank of America building, which funny, but Bank of America seems to come up in many of my themes, including this, this shirt, what we can cover later. But regardless, it was filmed at the B of A building, big black tower downtown. And uh, I turned 18 on the set and I got a little piece because I played a, a reporter who only had a couple of lines and they got cut out. But I was able to interview all the dignitaries as they were coming up the red carpet with Bill Holden, Faye Dunaway, everybody as they came through uh, as this reporter who was getting them to kind of say a few words on dedicating this building and yada, yada. So it was really quite a plum deal as I got to hang around with a lot of A-plus celebrities and stars at that time. And, uh, you know, a lot of them were great people. Even Bill Holden, he and Stephanie Powers, of course, created animal preserves all over the world and saved a lot of animals when he was alive and they were, I think she's still active, uh, all that. But regardless, I was able to hobnob just enough and I got to meet Steve McQueen, uh, you know, uh, too. And I'll get to my Paul Newman story later, but regardless, Steve was a lifelong friend and mentor to me. He took me on a ride around uh, San Francisco for my 18th birthday. I turned 18 on the set. And he was very generous. If he liked you, he was he was so all hard. around San Francisco, and what did you do? On the back of a motorcycle, just rode around. And, you know, he we stopped off and had a couple of beers and this and that. And, uh, you know, he showed me some of the spots he... You were only 18 years old, Will. You were yeah, drinking. You were underage drinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you were with Steve, you didn't have to worry about anything. I'll tell you, he was... He was, uh, of course, he filmed Bullet there and many famous action movies through his career. He was, uh, he was uh, close to an acting god. You know, I got to spend some time with Marlon Brando way back when and through Jack Nicholson. But I was very fortunate to meet a lot of people. And it all started kind of with Steve, who invited me down to L.A. after that. And I got the bug. Of course, yeah, I went from making you know, a couple hundred bucks a week and working my butt off to two to three thousand a week and being around all these celebrities with quality now, food what do you do? well so you make three thousand a week how old were you then well i was 18. what did you do with three thousand dollars a week in those wow days? those were in, in 70 76 or 77 dollars uh well i bought an austin healy 3000 which i wish, still wish i had because now they're a collector's item um that i can remember i don't know what else i did you know now did you have a nice mansion down right. there and all that did you buy a nice house or what did you do down in there yeah well that was a little bit later after i had moved down and started to catch on in episodic television you know everything's a hierarchy in hollywood you know you have your your daytime soaps actually you have your commercial actors that do commercials then your day soap actors and then it goes up to episodic television and primetime TV. From there, of course, everybody dreams of getting into the feature films and movies uh, where everything's not so hectic and pressurized. Uh, however, uh, so I was able to you know, carve out a career in things like Emergency and MASH and Beretta. I did eight Starsky and Hutches, had a regular small role on that and, uh, and buy into an old ramshackle beach house down uh down at the beach in santa monica when santa monica was considered the dregs and venice down the way i can remember you know only dennis hopper lived down there and you know of course all these people were heavily into the the drug culture and considered very 
wild. Uh, so and were they know, wild, Will? Were they that wild then? Uh, you know, wasn't to me, but you know, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you can you can see the good and upside in everything, right? And uh, you know, being a, a lifelong surfer and lover of salt water, anything with salt water is is one of the reasons why I've trans, uh, transmitted myself to Florida here. But regardless, anything like that that has something as exciting as the entertainment industry, and you're actually making a living at it. I'll never forget that first year down there. I made seventeen thousand, something like seventeen thousand eight or nine hundred dollars, and it was the most thrilling W two ever got in my life. I don't know why, but I had my beach house, I had my sports car, I had my surfboard, uh, and you know, I was an working Hollywood actor. And so what's the biggest movie you've been in? I would say the one that was probably the most revered was, was Hardcore uh, with George C. Scott, with Peter Boyle, who co-starred in Young Frankenstein for Mel, Mel Brooks. But I'd really also like to say my favorite is the one that I was supposed to co-star in with Steve McQueen, and it was the forerunner to Baby Driver, which has been very popular. It's called The Driver. That was with Ryan O'Neill and Bruce Stern, Isabella Johnny. Mm -hmm. But the main reason it was directed, written and directed by Walter Hill. And Walter Hill is still a friend, lives out in Malibu. And he wrote and directed many hits, including 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. He also wrote and uh, wrote many of the early Steve McQueen movies, Bullet, The Getaway with McQueen and Ali McGraw, very famous uh classics so he was very revered and to have something that he had cast steve and me in knowing how much steve thought of me and also how much i wanted to be do more than just a little bit part with steve someday uh was great and then to have bruce dern dernsey was a dernsey we call him he was a close friend of jack nicholson so i've been fortunate to meet and get to be friendly with. These were all gods to all of us young actors. You, you met way. Jack Nicholson or you met Dern, are you saying? No, I met Jack Nicholson and Bruce Dern. They were very good buddy buddies. And now how's Jack Nicholson? Was he normal or was he a little different? Jack? Yeah. Jack was the biggest star I ever met. That's all I can say. I was fortunate to have the same agent as for film, not for music, as Mick Jagger and Rod Stewart. So I've met a lot of rock stars that are dynamic and i've met a lot of movie people and stage people that are very dynamic i've never met somebody more dynamic than jack nichols huh, what, had, is, wow, had, what does dynamic mean you walk into a room and he could uh he could light it up for the whole group or he could single you out and just make you feel like you're the most important valuable person and going straight up in your life in the world he just had a very you know, he started out picking up cigarette butts and being the dregs of the movie industry and worked for over 15 years being an almost a, a AD or a gopher. And then he got his lucky break in, in, in uh, Easy Rider because Nick, you know, Rip Torn jumped out because they're all doing too much drugs and never shot a shot anything worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Peter Pond and Dennis did. And, uh, and they sent Jack down there just to ride herd on those guys keep them at least sober enough so they get some shots in. Wow. And, and Rip Torn, who was a very strong actor, character actor, was supposed to play Jack's part. And he left in a huff, 
said, I've been through with these kids and got on a plane and just left. They had no one else for the part and Jack jumped in. So the rest is history. Wow, that's and, amazing. Uh, Wait, know, so he amazing. never forgot where he came from. He never forgot where he came from. He was always uh, uh, very helpful. And also he had a compound shell to ha shared a house with Marlon Brando on Mulholland. So Brando was his and his generation's God. And Jack and some of those people were, were kind of my generations coming up. Well, that's amazing. So you did 30 television shows, 15 major motion pictures. So how do you go down through and remember lines? How does it, how do you learn to do that? I've always had a good memory, but it really comes down to muscle memory. The more you do it, the more you, you can just do it. It's ingrained. Uh, I'll never forget, I did two movies with John Carradine, and he was in The Grapes of Wrath. When I worked with him, I also co-starred with David Carradine in several films uh, from Kung Fu and all that. But regardless, John, amazing, 80 years old, smoked camel filters down to the nubs, drank straight whiskey. He could look even at his age and all that he had been through at, at a, a one or two pages of dialogue once or twice for maybe five or ten minutes and go out and do it in one or two takes. That's unbelievable. Now, how long it was it been been well, how long? You've got a script that's 50 pages, or I don't know how big it's, 100 pages. How long does it take you to memorize? Let's say you have a supporting role. What do you get? How long does it take? Well, it depends. You know, it depends. Uh, I'll give you an example. The Beretta that I uh, guest starred in that won the award uh, for ABC and all that stuff and everything, you know, Robert Blake, unfortunately, had a, a string of writers. He was notorious for rewriting things at the last minute. They didn't sound right, look right. He'd even fire actors. It was very pressurized. So uh, some things, um, you know, I would say took longer than others, but because you knew you would be replaced in something very valuable, like guest starring in the number one TV show on ABC, if you didn't deliver, you better learn fast. So I would say on an average, it would probably be a couple of hours uh, but that's over a period of time, you know, you run lines with people, you know, and, 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 and different ways to practice and get it more ingrained also to practice different inflections. You know, there's a million ways to say, I hate you. There's a two million ways to say, I really love you. And, and, how, and how about how much direction does, how much direction does a director really give an actor in a movie? What are they? Ones, there are different ways. Walter Hill, very hands-off, as long as you were going at his flavor and his his thoughts. You know, worked, uh, I screen tested a lot for with George Lucas on stuff, and he was definitely- well, Tell us a little bit about it. I understand you were going to be in Star Wars. You no, I never was. I screen tested for it. I had a, a big shot, just didn't work out. Also, the deer hunter, but you know that's kind of forgotten. So you, had a, you had a uh, a chance to be in, uh, so there was you screen tested for it. How many actors screen tested? Oh, I don't know. I'd probably say probably you know they looked at fifty, twenty to thirty to fifty actors, and probably maybe six of them got screen test. Maybe five. I really don't know that number, Gary. How did they select two of the final selections on that? How did they? make the determination producers contractual agreements with different big high-powered agents and lots of uh, movement uh behind the scenes so to speak in in different ways remember 
you know, Star Wars was a B movie with a very small budget. So a lot of times, even though the director has a say so, even somebody as prolific as George Lucas, but because they're just starting out and they have a very small budget, they have to listen to the bigger agents and certain areas to say, we're, we need you to use this guy because then we're going to do something else with him or we've got this or that going on. It's a lot of maneuvering. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. So, okay, let's fast forward. So when did you decide you decided um, you were at uh, No Limit Fantasy Sports as a consultant? And uh, when did you start getting into business development? What year did that happen? 2005? No, way before that. I started really getting into it through Bill Daniels, the father of cable TV, and then the 80s, actually. And they needed somebody who was kind of an established actor who also knew the studio heads. I was very close with Tom Mount. I was always financially minded about the business part of show business. So even as an actor, I knew if I could get to the right executives and give them some value, whether on stocks or other things they were looking for or interested in, that would put me, give me an edge over other actors, other and I sold several scripts too, other screenwriters, things like that, that were trying to get their uh, get in the door. So Tom Mount, Mike Metaboy at MGM, a lot of these guys I knew and had somehow worked my way into their inner, somewhat inner circle. Um, I was at the first Rocky showing with Sylvester Stallone, where you oh, know, wow. he, he had to sit in the back. They wouldn't even let him sit in this big screening room with no music. They, he was shuffled in. They just, oh, my God, this is going to be horrific. Why would did that happen? They didn't think it was going to sell or what? No, he was, you know, he couldn't talk. It's like an Arnold Schwar when Arnold Schwarzenegger started out. He couldn't talk. They just wanted the script. They thought it was a good strip, script. They paid him peanuts and gave him 10% of the gross. So, fortunately, he stuck to his guns. They tried to buy him off with $200,070. Uh, Mike told me we can't believe he's not taking it because he's six months back on his rent. His wife, Sasha, at the time was pregnant with and they were about to be evicted. And this guy had the, the, the stones to say, no, I'm turning down 200 grand and a screenwriting credit because I want to star in this thing. And, and I believe in it. And uh, talk about all the craziness in the that world. That sounds like a Rocky story, a real Rocky story. It's a real the behind the scenes were even more impressive uh, or equally as impressive as the true Rocky story. Anyway, I was there when the when the screening finished in this at, at MGM. I was sitting up front with Mike Metaboy. I've never seen anybody come in as the janitor and go out as the king, as the king almost literally being carried off by all the on the executive sh shoulders, offered him anything he wanted for Rocky two and other. Now, did they have music with it at that time when you saw the screen? No, music wasn't wasn't uh, dubbed in yet. So, and that was without the you know. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I've seen a lot of transitions, and that's well, what and how did, in when you saw Sylvester Stallone go in before the movie screening and saw him come out. Could you tell that was he different coming in as he was going out? Oh yeah, I mean he was mesmerized. I mean it's it's a lot. You know, he was just happy that somebody recognized him. But it was much more than that. It was a big deal. John Albertson directed that film, who I knew. He was a tough guy to work for. So, like I say, there's a director there that really none of his actors 
want to work for because he's very demanding and very in your face, literally really? in your face when you didn't deliver or you didn't do it the way he's. What does it mean not delivering? Well, excuse me just a second here. Give me just a second here, Gary. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. Well, Well, this is the real world, and you're getting the chance to see it the real time. So Will's a, an actor, business development. I mean, he's been in these these films uh, all over the world. Uh, he's been in 30 TV shows, 15 mo major motion pictures. Great to have him here. Everything okay, Will? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Been having a little little sinus issue here, but uh, no problem. Listen, we got about uh, eight minutes left, so tell us about uh, what you're doing now in terms of uh, Hall Venture Partners and and uh, where that's gone. And yeah, so, so in my in my <laughs> emerging uh, 25 years ago private equity career, I worked with a lot of family offices and funds, merchant banks, high net worth individuals and advising them and bringing them quality uh, projects as well as capital and structuring deals. So one of the family office I ran across about three years ago had, uh, I saw when, when someone had sent it to me, said these guys have 1200 patents issued on their technology. I've always been heavy in technology, blockchain, many things, starting with cable TV back in the eighties and internet in the nineties. So regardless, I looked at the patents and they were unbelievable. I'm a big licensing patent guy. Once again, coming from the acting business, you know, I got 100% residuals and many, you know, lived off of those quite well uh, all through the 80s, actually, and never did a film after 1985. So I love patents. When I looked at it and I saw that they had a 130 acre campus and they had a 70 year history of turning out patented tangible technology uh, in very, very profitable exits. And their 8.3x return over 20 years was at the top tier of any venture capital quadrant, single issue or fund in my world, mm -hmm. 28 years of scaring the world. So I got very interested in uh, all their projects. And, you know, certainly uh, now I'm on board uh, working with them quite hand in hand. Uh, but they really do start with smart cities, smart homes, smart cars, smart toilets, smart communication, and and really have incredible ESG-minded, uh, profitable companies that I've never seen before. So it's a major incubator accelerator extraordinaire. Wow, and how long has the family been around? 70 years. They invented the man-made diamond in the 1950s which is sold five times over and still uh, to everybody from Halliburton to General Electric and 3M. And it's still uh, in use today all over the world for drilling, water reclamation, things like that. So that was just one of a huge slew of, of products and up to our current, you know, this is the Vanderhall car, which we're IPOing with Bank America very soon. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about it. What is it? It's a, on for two years. We've sold over 2,000 of them. Shaquille O'Neal, Jay Leno, everybody owns our cars. They love them. 
So it's an actual three-wheeler that's on the road, drives like a Porsche, goes zero to 60 in four seconds, top end of 147. Uh, and it's just revered all over the world. We have 158 dealerships. Uh, we'll do 60 million plus in revenue this year off of our gasoline. But now we have a whole electric vehicle division coming out, starting with a four-wheel drive, 400 horsepower EV brawling on-road and off-road. Wow. We have over 2,000 non-refundable deposits on that already. So in a whole line of EV products, power sports, uh, jet skis, snowmobiles, inboard, outboard motors uh, for all EV. Uh, so we're pretty excited about that. No, that sounds great. So we're coming to the top of the show. So closing thoughts and how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, my uh, Will Walker, W Walker at hallvp.com. Uh, also, we can send them a deck and a, a four-minute video of our 130-acre, 70-year-old campus. It is a Disneyland, since we've talked so much about acting, Disneyland for growth and proven process. So anyone who requested, love to send them a deck and a, a short video, wet their whistle, and then book a call with me if they're interested and uh, want to learn more. No, that's super. And what are your closing thoughts in terms of – so just a uh, – question for you how does somebody get into acting so a lot of people you know acting if you look at life you know the world is your stage how does somebody get into it what's the best way i tell people to really start learning their craft like anything education 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 and really start learning where you know first of all where the better theater training if that's what you want to do and start there you know it's 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 a there's an influencer world and then there's a well-trained actor world i come from the well-trained actor world both have you know have uh paths to go but i would really advise them and really you do you know new york or los angeles for the most part now things are erupting in atlanta and other places so there are other hives of activity but rather than go there and try to be a star you know, I would suggest anyone get some training, local theater, find out who in their area or relocate to those areas and find some of these uh, more respected uh, coaches and uh, people and really get some training and see if you really have a passion for it. Because once again, it's a tough business. Uh, but if you love it, you love it, you live, eat and breathe it, you'll make it and, and you'll develop talent. Some are born with more natural, but there's a development of talent and uh, that goes a long way. No, that's great. Well, listen, I want to take um, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule, Will, to join my show today. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on board and you're such a wide, uh, you have such a wide breadth of information and, and experience is just incredible. I mean, the first actor I've talked to that's uh, gone down through and, you know, moved over to the venture side and, at the same time, has done one awards in, in acting and performed in all those movies and shows. And, and that's a brilliant story about being 17 years old and, and getting your first part while you're in uh, San Francisco in the Towering Inferno. So it's a great story, and I appreciate it. To my viewers out there, my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the CEO, president, co-founder of GSD Get You Done Venture Studios. 
premier AI and quantum venture studio located in the heart of Silicon Valley. We believe that intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world and opportunities aren't. We need to bring some kindness to each and every one of us around the world. A lot of challenges, a lot of conflicts taking place today. We need a lot more love. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay happy. My name is Gary Fowler. Tune in again next week for another exciting edition. Take care of yourself and spread the love. See you later, everybody. Bye-bye.